Welcome to the Suicide Prevention and Awareness Podcast, part of CBP's Shine a Light Suicide Prevention Program. Today, we are speaking with CBP instructor Christina and Dr. Kent Corso, a clinical psychologist specializing in suicide prevention. In this episode, Christina discusses her experience with domestic violence and how being in an abusive relationship can trigger thoughts of suicide. Hi, and welcome to our monthly podcast. Thanks so much for joining us today and to our guests for being with us. Just a few caveats before we get going. I am a clinical psychologist, so I am a doctor, but I'm not the doctor for our guest. This isn't therapy or counseling, nor is anything we talk about today going to involve or constitute medical advice. This is just a conversation. Another disclaimer is that suicide is a difficult topic to talk about. It's not one that we can discuss vaguely or indirectly if we hope to make a difference. So for our listeners out there, we are going to have a frank conversation today. If by any chance you have lived experience or you are triggered, if anything we discuss is upsetting or distressing to you, please reach out for help. Reach out to those who care for you and love you and reach out to those who you love. If you're a CBP employee or family member and you need help, you can always contact a peer support member, chaplain, or veteran support member. Or you can reach out to our employee assistance program. If you are not a CBP employee, you can always call 1-800-273-8255, which is the National Suicide Lifeline. Hi, Christina. Thanks for joining us today. Hi, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you doing? I'm good. Good. Good day. Excellent. Well, this topic is for Domestic Violence Prevention and Awareness Month, which is the month of October, and thought it would be helpful to help our listeners understand the nexus or the meeting point between domestic violence and suicide. And your story was a very interesting one that I thought you might be able to expound on a bit in the podcast. Just for our listeners out there, there is a video coming out with Christina on it in coordination with our special event on October 28th for Domestic Violence Prevention and Awareness Month. So this is a little bit of a teaser or a preview. So Christina, tell us a little bit about uh, your experience with domestic violence. When did this happen? How long were you in the relationship and how did you eventually get out? Um, my experience was around, well, I, I got out around nine years ago, right? So it was basically started around when I was 20, 22 years old, kind of. I, I guess it, it was not special event or any special situation. I just met this person uh, like anybody else, get to know this person, um, start sharing more time, spending more time together, right? And then suddenly you're in a relationship and then things just start popping up and changing, right? Like I said, I, I was able to get out nine years ago, but I spent in it around four years. So the relationship lasted about four years, but you ended it nine years ago. Yes, correct. And did you know when you got into the relationship that uh, this person would have been violent toward you? No, there was no no reason at all to to ever think about it. I even met this person in a seminar, so it was more into personal development and growth and all those things that you do to to become a better person and and set up goals. 
So it would have never crossed my mind at all. I met him through friends. So it was more like gather in, in those get togethers and, and certain activities and events. And no, no, not at all. Not at the beginning, at least. It sounds like you were kind of blindsided then, huh? It's it. Yes. I had to say that this particular person had this ability, right, with his words. So and I don't think he was never into a serious long term relationship before. So I wouldn't have any any history from to take from any type of information or or any reference from it. So that's that's sometimes even harder. Of course, of course. Was this was the violence or the abuse something that started out of nowhere or was it a gradual process? In my experience and from what I've seen before, it it's a gradual process. It's it takes it's a little bit little by little, right? It's it starts with maybe questions and and what we think sometimes is a normal conversation, but it's just the abuser pretty much preparing the territory of how much I know about you that I can use against you to start even manipulating or or start this reverse psychology and making you think that you're doing things wrong or or you're worthless. It's just just a slow process. In it, that's why it's so hard to identify that you're actually in it. So it sounds like what you're saying is there's sort of a sometimes I think it's called a grooming process where the person starts to gather information, starts to uh, figure out what it is that they can learn about you so they can then use that to somehow manipulate or control you or hold it over your head. And maybe even what is known as gaslighting, which is trying to convince you of something, but that something isn't really happening. Yes, yes, totally. It, it's that it's creating that mindset in you of um, how you you're so guilty or you're responsible of everything that's happening around you, including their behavior, including their abuse, how you you were you deserve that. So it's it, it's a lot of um, manipulation, I would say. And then suddenly it gets to a point that I guess when the victim, right, or in uh, my case, I would challenge that that manipulation or that whatever the person, the, the abuser is telling you when you challenge that, that that's when most of the time the, the physical abuse shows, right? Because it's it's a way that they don't have that control just with words. And now it's creating that fear, right? So that's that's kind of like a slow progress of, of what's that abuse cycle, I would say. So it sounds like it escalates when when the person can't uh, accomplish what they want to accomplish with words, then they move to a more physical uh, method to sort of get what they want accomplished. Is that right? Yes. Uh, at least in my experience, that, that that's exactly how it happened. And oftentimes when we think about domestic violence or something, sometimes it's called interpersonal violence, uh, partner violence, we know that there are problems with boundaries. So a boundary violation is any time where someone tries to make you think something, make you feel something, make you be something, or make you do something. That's sort of a, a indication that there might be abuse going on or that there's just something that's not healthy, not helpful that could grow into abuse. Did Is that 
what happened in your experience, boundary violations? Definitely. I would say that that can get identified, be identified right, right before it is just this whole chaos and an and abusive, unhealthy, toxic relationship develops, right? It can get detected before if, if there are people aware of it, right? Meaning the victim could say, wait, wait, hold on a minute. This person doesn't let me be an independent individual, either because it's asking for passwords or, or asking to check your phone or asking to to, you know, to cross those boundaries of things that make you feel uncomfortable, right? And sometimes we justify those type of behaviors like, oh, well, he's my partner, or well, he's my children's dad, or or vice versa, right? Because abuse can come from, from any gender. It's not about gender only sometimes. And, and, and sometimes we even think that this type of behavior, it's part of being in a relationship. And, and I think that's, that's something that we learn wrong, right? And, and even cultures, cultures uh, influence a lot in, in how we perceive relationships and how much we tolerate or we believe it's okay. Sure. That could, that could be a, a heads up and, hey, this is going to go this way. But sometimes you don't even see them until like you're so deep into it that you cannot even see the abuse that it's, it's going on. Sure. So, so there are times where it's sort of like you rationalize it and you say, well, it's okay that these boundaries are being violated or being broken down because of this reason or that reason. Maybe it's a cultural reason. And so this is what I'm supposed to do according to my upbringing. But at the end of the day, over time, you can sort of stand back and say, wait a minute, this is not okay. And that takes many people quite a while. Yeah, definitely. It does. And Especially, it's like when you're at work and people tell you, well, that's always, we have done this for um, forever, right? Or we have always done this this way. Well, that doesn't mm-hmm. make that that it's right or that doesn't mm-hmm. make that it's okay. So definitely, there's a lot of, of, of influences from culture, group age, all those things that we, we will never cover all of them right now but so gender as well it's culture it's gender right it can can come from anywhere and and i like what you're saying which is that just because it has been done before doesn't make it justified to happen in the future in other words we can't use a precedent to justify future behavior if if that were the case uh, then women shouldn't vote we should still have slavery right all of these things that we can't just look to the past and say well that justifies that that we continue doing it if we realize that there's a problem here it's uh much more helpful to go ahead and target the problem. So this is the place where domestic violence, interpersonal partner violence, where it overlaps with suicide. Suicide is a state of powerlessness, helplessness, hopelessness. So what kind of powerlessness and helplessness and hopelessness happens in domestic violence? And why might someone who's in an abusive relationship it could be sexually abusive, emotionally abusive, physically abusive, mentally abusive, psychologically abusive. Why would a person consider suicide if, if he or she were in those circumstances? Honestly, I believe like anybody could end up um, going that, that route, right? It, it's a fine line, I would say. Um, when you start living a life that you, you lost yourself, you have no self-love, self-worth, self-nothing, right? Because you're just in this pattern of abuse and and most of this relationship, and I'm including mine, started with, at the beginning with normal, right? But at, at some point, it, it a, a line, it's drawn 
between your relationship with that partner and your own family and your own friends, either because that abuser separate you from them, either because you move in with him or like in my case, I moved out from Puerto Rico to the U.S., especially to Wisconsin, which is pretty far from where I came from. And, and having not nobody around you, you know, having no friends, no family, and then just relying on this person. So we're talking now that there's no only some type of isolation, physical isolation, but then now how much contact do you have with loved ones if, if you have that abuser uh, in your life, right? In my case, I would have to use like the time that he was at work to maybe call my mom and pretend everything was fine. And that's part of that game, like how much I want to give away to my loved ones to have them worry or how much I want to give them away to to for them to tell me, hey, I told you so. Why don't you leave him? And, and then not only the pressure and, and the pain that you're carrying because you're in an abusive relationship, but now because you got there from loved ones and family and and in the pressure of what I'm going to do because I'm in 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 a bad situation, bad relationship. So it's it's little by little adds on into that that burden, right? That that huge pain that is just accumulating between the abuse, the isolation, the the power, the powerless. Like you say, you feeling like what can I be uh, able to do to to be in a better situation than this one? And then the case of what if you don't work? What if the abuser is the one that it's controlling uh, totally the finances, right? And, and you don't owe anything. And, and that's part even of that manipulation that I would say. Then they start making you feel like, well, you owe me everything. You owe me your life. And, and I, I financially support you. So what are you going to do? So it's just all these things coming up together. It sounds like what you're saying, Christina, is the, the person makes you dependent on them in whether it's financially, economically, emotionally, even the cell phone plan. Maybe he or she is the one who purchased the plan. So that, that person has the rights to the account and they can revoke the, the, the phone. They can pull it back. They can take it away from you. So, so they isolate. Then they sort of use that power and control to get you to do what they want and, and whether it's something you agree with or not. And maybe they make you feel guilty that they're doing all these things for you. And, and even though they've made you dependent on them uh, and, and probably you would choose something else, you would choose independence, but they hold that over your head and you really don't have any choices because you can't go to your family or friends or they will probably judge you or the, they'll pressure you. Why don't you don't, why don't you leave? Or you should feel guilty and blame yourself. I told you this was going to happen. So it seems like there's no place to turn, which is why people feel so powerless. Yeah, definitely. And, and it can get worse. And, and that's why it can end up in, in a bad situation, like taking your own life. Right. Because that's the only door, the only solution that you find to just end up that painful uh, situation. Right. Yes. Yeah, people who are thinking about suicide think there's no other option. There's they don't really want to die, but they don't want to live with what they're living with. And so they decide that I have to escape it. This is the only answer. And of course, we know it's not the answer. People who have attempted suicide and survived have said, wow, that was not a good decision. 
In fact, the majority of people who attempt suicide once and live to tell about it will never attempt again. And so when we think about what can help people continue to choose life and to try to keep trying, it comes down to their meaning and purpose in life, right? So what what's what do they have to get up to in the morning? Why should they bother getting out of bed? What are they living for? I think you used the words why, right? Yeah, definitely. It, I think that's one of the most important things in life in general, right? Even if, if, if you're in a bad situation or not, because even some days you're not going to wake up with the same energy and, any, and, and the same vibe, right? But if you have a why, a reason why you're doing everything that you do on a daily basis, even can save you. And I was literally even can save you from, from making uh, poor, poor choices in terms of how to get out from a bad situation as a domestic violence relationship, right? Instead of just thinking that suicide might be an option. And, and I say that why has to be so powerful that even in the worst days, you hold on to it and, and give you that inspiration to, to keep moving forward, right? Because at this point, I said, wherever you add in your life, either it's a bad moment or even it's a bad relationship, if you're still there, it means that you're still fighting. Right, right, exactly. So even though part of you may have to stay or even want to stay, there's a part of you that absolutely wants to leave. And so that is sort of evidence of, of this fight that, that you're uh, having. And that's not uh, too different from suicide. There's this ambivalence. People want to live and they want to die. They don't want to live with all their pain. They'd rather live with the why. They'd rather live for that meaning, that purpose. But since it's not there, it makes them want to die. So there's, there's a clear similarity between the two. You were talking a moment ago about how the purpose and meaning is what allows you to to keep getting up. And the word hope came to my mind. So it sounds like one of the other things you might be saying, Christina, is that keeping your focus on your meaning and purpose in life keeps you hopeful. Yes, uh, totally. Right. It's, it's, just, it's that hope of, of seeing beyond the problem, of seeing beyond the pain, seeing beyond the, the abuse, right? At least in my case, that that's, was exactly what I was living through. In my case, it's a little bit different, right? I'm a mom, so I had three kids at that moment. So my why, pretty much, it, it was about them. But it was about them not to have to grow up seeing that life, their mom being abused, and and maybe me ended up in, in a bad situation or ended up living in bad neighborhoods, bad schools, that that was not the type of life that I wanted to give them, no matter what, if I ended up alone with them as a single single mom or not, that they, they were my why in, in, in every way of I need to, to, to get out of this situation and a life. Right, right. And and get out, get, get to a new life, right? Yes, definitely. That's an incredible courage that you showed and, and also selflessness to do it for your children. And that's, and sometimes it's, I said, I don't know if it's good or bad, right? Because sometimes you say, well, how much can you do for others when you don't, when you didn't have that for yourself? But in my case, it, I work with myself later on. And my case was more like a survival instinct. And it could apply to any situation. Either you're at that border of, of attempting against your life or you're at that border of giving, giving up 
right? Because I could have gave up and maybe I wouldn't be here. Sure. So that's, that's completely possible. Well, we only have a moment or two left, Christina. What would you say to people out there among our listeners who maybe are in an abusive relationship? Maybe they have never thought about leaving it. Maybe they've been trying to leave it for years. What would you say to them? I would say that there's people out there that will support you, that there's people out there that will not judge you and and they will be ready for for that step and and be that emotional support and even that physical support meaning like hey you can come to my house if i have to call the police for you it's like there's always going to be somebody out there uh to support you right and and there's there's always hope always hope in meaning that you can always build up a life without this abuse you can always have a healthy fulfilled complete amazing life without that person and i think it's just understanding that that's a possibility it's 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 the first step of of getting out of it that's great in other words if you have to be able to envision it in order to start making those strides toward getting out yes because most of the time um victims right believe and i was one of them no, there's nothing I can do. There's no way out. I, I have no money. I have no mm-hmm. this. I'm, and that's mm-hmm. not really you talking. It's, it's, it's the abuser in your head. Absolutely. Well, thanks again for joining us today, Christina. We know that relationship problems are the number one risk factor for CBP employees who die by suicide. So domestic violence, intimate partner violence, these certainly pertain to relationship problems. So I'm grateful that you were able to talk to us today about it. And just want to remind the listeners that on October 28th, we're looking forward to that event uh, for Domestic Violence Prevention and Awareness Month. Thanks, Christina. You're welcome. This is part of our ongoing podcast series for suicide prevention and awareness. If you see someone struggling, say something. Asking them about suicidal thoughts may feel awkward, but you can help reduce suicide risk at home and in the workplace by tolerating that awkwardness. Simply ask, how can I help? And then just listen to the person. Make sure you ask them if they're thinking of ending their life. It really does make a difference. Thank you again to our guests. I really appreciate you. And thanks to our listeners for tuning in. We'll speak to you again on our next episode. 